but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, do not hear because you are not of God. Now, my objective this morning and my thought this morning, my purpose and hope this morning is, is number one, to help you understand the enemy. I hope you understand his tactics. I want you to understand his objectives. I want you to understand this morning his motives. When we, when we, when we, we, see, we're living a day and age to where there's a lot of people in our world today that do not believe in God. They question whether God is real, whether God is, is, is a lie or not. And they question a lot of things today. And so we've got to understand that, that Satan is a liar. And if we listen to the voice and we listen to the word of, of the enemy, then you and I both would understand that he, that, that, that we, would, we would think, in other words, that God is not, is not real as well. But we know that he's a liar. We know that there's no truth in him. Every time the Bible says that he opens up his mouth, he lies. Because when he lies, he speaks of it in his native language. The Bible says he, he goes back to his natural resources here. Because he's a liar and he's the father of lies. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, don't, have, I don't put a lot of stock in people that lies to me. There's two things I really despise, and that's a thief and a liar. I, you know, you may be different, but I, I have a problem with liars and thieves. You know, if they want to come and take something that doesn't belong to them, they, you know, to me, you, you need to take them out behind the barn somewhere. We need to talk to them. You know, thief and a liar. And so we know that our enemy is a liar, and, and you and I are at war with the enemy. We are not buddies. We do not need to be companions with the enemy. We're at war with the enemy. He's our enemy today. Amen. And so Ephesians says that in 6 and 12, it says, Our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil. So we know then that the enemy is, is our enemy. Or Satan is our enemy. Uh, his, his weapon of choice is deception. His weapon of choice is lies to us. He uses, isn't it ironic that the enemy uses half-truths many times to get us to listen to him and outright lies to us in an attempt to destroy us. How do you know that, Pastor? You go all the way back in the scriptures. Go all the way back to Genesis if you want to. He tempted Eve in the garden. And Jesus, he tempted in the, in the desert. He tempted Judas with, with, with silver and gold and, and all these kind of things. And he tempted Peter with fear. And on and on we could go about the lies and the deception of the enemy. He is the deceiver and a destroyer of all that is good. And his objective is simply to undermine all that is truth because Satan cannot handle the truth. Can't handle the truth. Can't handle it. Truth becomes our principal weapon against him. Because how many knows that the truth will set you free? 
You say, well, pastor, that's all good and you know that you can say that and I know you've got your opinion that, that the Satan is a liar and God, God is dead and all these kind of things. But let's, let's prove that, 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 prove that fact this morning. All right, let's look at that. What is truth? What is truth today? See, we live in a society that increasingly con is convinced that truth does not exist. It does not exist. A, a number of surveys have found that a high percentage of Americans are not even sure if they even know what real truth is. Now that's startling to me. A high percentage. Secular colleges teach that absolute truth is a myth and morality is an elusive goal that simply depends on what we want and what we feel rather than what is right and what is wrong. That's why Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 through 3 tells us, And you he made alive. Look at your neighbor and say, you're alive. You he made alive. Who were dead at one time in trespasses and sins. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince and the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath just as the others. Just like everybody else around us. In other words, what Ephesians 2 is saying here is simply that when we became Christians, we were without God. Or before we became Christians, we were without God. And thus, there was no real truth in our lives. We simply merely lived by our own standard of right and wrong. By what we wanted to do. Which actually were the standards of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And the spirit, though, who is now at work in us, in those that are Disobedient, he tells us what things are right and what things are wrong. When you think about this, it should not surprise us today that our that that since our nation rejected prayer and, and the Bible in schools nearly 52 years ago, that society has increasingly rejected truth. Now we don't think about that a lot. We we hear it we we hear it mentioned often or, or every now and then, but we don't think about what happened back in 1962 and 1963. You are aware that in 1962 that, that prayer became outlawed in many of our schools in our nation. You are aware that in 1963 that the Bible was banned from our schools. Now I'm so thankful that we have administrators even going to this church that still allows prayer in the schoolhouse. That still allows God's word at times in the schoolhouse. And I give God praise for that. But a lot of our, our secular schools today and colleges today and universities, they, they do not appreciate prayer. They do not accept accept the Bible or anything like that. And I thought, well, Lord, how can we look at this? How can we, how can we see that, this, that there was a, a, a divine shift in 1962 and 1963 in our society to get us to wake up? And so I pulled up some stuff. These are old graphs. But I want you to look at the divorce rate here. If you, if you can pull those, those, those uh, there you go. I want you to notice the divorce rates here from 1948 through 1960 and 62, look at the divorce rate here. It's not all together even, but it's pretty close being together. But I want you to notice what happened in 1960 and 1962 where the divorce rate went in America. That's just one graph. And all of this is because prayer and scripture reading was we banned God, in other words. We rejected God in America. When you look at that in our school system, sexually transmitted diseases. Pull that one up, guys. I want you to notice this. Look at this. From 1955 to 1963 was pretty much even. 
But from 1963, this is an old graph, to 1991. Look at this. I don't even know. I don't even want to know what it's like in 2014. Isn't it amazing? In that year, drastic changes took place. Look at the rape arrest. Rape arrest in our nation. Now, this is 1965, right here on my far left corner, all the way over to 1991. Look at it drop. Look at it go up. From 1962, 1960, look at violent crime. Violent crime. 1961, 62, pretty much even. But from 1963 up to 1993, with this graph, it escalated because we rejected God in America. We rejected God. Look at, look at the SAT scores in our schools. In 1962, you'll see they had a 970 percentile. But the SAT scores from 1962 to 1994 drastically dropped. Because, and you say, well, Pastor, why are you showing us this? I just want us to get, a, get an idea of where we are today in America. And we have smart leaders today. We have smart educators today. We have intelligent uh, government officials today, and you would think that they would look at this and understand and wonder what is the problem. I submit to you today that prayer is a problem in the sense that we've taken it out. Scripture is a problem in the sense that we've taken it out. We need to put prayer and scripture back in the Bible, back in the back in the Bible, back in the schools, back in our young people today, back in America today, back in families today. Amen. Don't you look at this? One more. Look at, the, look at the sexual abuse of children. This is 1976. It was a little lower in 1963, 1964, but in 1986, look how much it, it drastically changed. So that ought to tell us something that we need to understand that we are still serving a risen Savior. But we've rejected God in America, and we're saying that God's dead, basically. And look at what it's done to us. That's just a few of the graphs. I've read this to you before, and I've, and I've pulled this prayer up again. But I think I've read it to you several months ago. But just for the sake of you didn't hear it. Back in 1996, Paul Harvey was a radio commentator. And he told of a preacher in, in the state house of Topeka, Kansas, who, who was asked to pray. I want you to think about this. No sooner than he had finished, this is what I didn't give you last time I talked about this. No sooner than he had finished praying, several congressmen of, 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 that, of that state, Kansas, went to the microphone and objected and, re- and, and, and rejected his prayer. His prayer had offended them. What did this guy say so, so much so that it offended these congressmen? This guy's name was Joe Wright. He was a preacher at Central Christian Church in Wichita. And he said he never in my wildest dreams ever expected the response from this prayer. And this was his prayer. He said, Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask your forgiveness and seek your direction and guidance. We know your word says, woe to those who call evil good. But we, but that's exactly what we have done. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium and inverted our values. We confess today that we've ridiculed the absolute truth of your word and we've called it moral pluralism. We've worshipped other gods and we've called it multiculturalism. We've endorsed perversion. 
addiction and we've called it an alternative lifestyle. We've exploited the poor and we've called it the lottery. We've neglected the needy and we've called it self-preservation. We've rewarded laziness and we've called it welfare. We've killed our unborn but we call it choice. We've shot abortionists and we've called it justifiable. We've neglected to discipline our children and we called it building self-esteem. We've abused power and called it political savvy. We've converted our our coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. We've polluted the air with profanity and pornography, but we called it freedom of expression. We've ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. Search us, O God, and know our hearts today. Try us and see if there be some wicked way in us. Cleanse us from every sin and set us free. Guide us and bless these men and women who have been sent here by the people of Kansas and who have been ordained by you to govern this great state. Grant them your wisdom to rule and may their decisions direct us to the center of your will. And I ask it in your Son, the living Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And I'm saying if there's ever again we need a prayer like that, pray it again. Pray it again. But you know what happened? After Brother Joe Wright got through praying that prayer, Representative Delbert Gross considered this, this prayer. He said he can't talk to us like that. And calling the prayer decisive and sanctimonious and overbearing, Representative David Haley said it's blasphemous and ignorant. And we can be offended by that response by supposedly responsible elected officials or you and I can realize that this is exactly how the world controlled by Satan would respond. Pastor, this is not making me happy today. I didn't intend to make you happy. I want us to think God's alive today. And we need to proclaim it to the rooftop. God is alive today. The scripture says we've got to understand our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of the, of the world, against the spiritual forces. It's against the enemy. It's against Satan. I told you earlier that Satan's biggest weapon is deception. His greatest weakness is truth. Absolute truth, God's truth. And he's going to fight you every chance he gets concerning truth because he's desperate to destroy truth today. 2 Corinthians 10 and 3. The Bible says, For we walk in the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God through the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself with, against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity into the obedience of the Lord. Hallelujah. And so when we understand all of that, then how do we take care of all these arguments? How do we take care of all these pretensions that's in our nation today? How do we contend with those who set themselves up against the knowledge of God? Well, first thing you and I, we've got to understand, we've got to know what truth is. We've got to know what truth is. We familiarize ourselves with truth. We value truth as a powerful weapon. We stand beside truth and use it whenever we can. And that's what we're going to focus on over the next few few weeks. We're We're going to examine exactly what real truth is. But first, I want to tell you just a little bit of a just a few basics. And I hope in doing so this morning that you and I can we can begin to understand why knowing truth is so important. Just because you just because so and so says it doesn't mean it's true. Just because Hollywood says it doesn't mean it's true. Just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true. Is that all right? 
I got tickled. Some of y'all posted, yes, was it yesterday or Friday, about this National Daughters Day or Daughters Week or whatever? It wasn't yesterday or Friday. But because of social media, everybody just run with it. That's what happened to y'all on that 24 water challenge. <laughs> Including myself. This is the first thing I want you to understand this morning. We got to understand why Satan has a problem with truth. Why does he have a problem with truth? Let's, let's go back and look at that. I want you to remember that Jesus declared that there's no truth in, the, in, in Satan. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks in his native language. He's the liar and he's the father of lies. He cannot handle the truth. Truth offends the enemy. Why? Because the enemy wants to be in control. That's a simple, basic understanding. He wants to be in control. And truth will not allow for that. Have you ever met anybody that you talked to and they always felt like they had to have control? They always had to have the last word. It didn't matter what you said. They're always going to come back and say something. And it could go on and on and on, especially if you're bullheaded too. Especially if you've got, if you've got you know, that, that issue too. I mean, it could go, that argument could go on and on. It, the enemy is that same way. He, he cannot handle the truth because he wants to be in control. Truth, real truth, listen, is absolute. It's absolute. There's no wiggle room when it comes to truth. There's no place for broad-mindedness when it comes to truth. Now, this is not in my notes, but this would help a lot of husbands and wives if we dealt stop right here. With a lot of arguments, a lot of fussings, a lot of things that we deal with in our home, right? Because if the husband says this, or if he don't say that, then the wife is going to have a response. And if the wife is going to have a response, the husband's going to definitely have a response. And it goes back and forth. Amen? You know I'm right. You're just looking at me with a, that funny look. You, you're sitting by your spouse right now. You're afraid to say anything. But it's the truth. But in truth, in real truth, there's no room for broad-mindedness. For, for example, there's no room for broad-mindedness in the chemical laboratory. Water is composed of two parts, hydrogen and one part oxygen. That's truth. You cannot change it just because you want to. Two and two equals four. It does not equal five. As some would say, you can't change it. There's no room for broad-mindedness in a concert hall. A skilled director will not permit his performers to be off a half a note because when performing a great masterpiece, there is truth. It's written on the page. It's absolute. Follow it. You know what I'm talking about. There's no room for broad-mindedness in the mathematical classroom, whether it's geometry, whether it's calculus, trigonometry, all of that. There's no allowance for any variation concerning the accuracy of the answer. The solution of the problem is either right or it's wrong. There's no tolerance when the teacher checks your score, right? It's either right or wrong. And can I tell you this morning, when it comes to absolute truth, the same is true. There can be no broad-mindedness when it comes to truth. There are professors in our secular universities. Here's the thing. Not all of them, but there, there are many of them in our secular universities who reject absolute truth. Who reject absolute truth. But the truth is they're not rejecting truth. Here's the thing. It's the same old problem the enemy had. They're rejecting somebody else's truth. Why? Because they want to be in control of that classroom. 
They want to be in control. They're rejecting somebody else's right to decide what's right and wrong. There's professors want to be in the authority. They want to be the ones who decide what is moral and what isn't moral. And whether we believe it or not, church, and I know we live in a little small blob of Arkansas, but around this nation today, we have secular professors that is teaching, teaching these kind of things right here. That is not true. But because they feel it's truth, just like the movie, the trailer that we watched the other day, they're going to know, look, they're trying to prove that God is dead. God is dead. And as long as, they, as long as there was absolute truth, these professors would always be subject to a higher law. But they want to be in control. They wouldn't be allowed to be the, 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 the leaders of morality. And, and, and they didn't like all of that. And, and neither does the enemy. Isaiah 14 and 13 says this. Quote Satan. And he tells us, says, You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will, raise, I will rise, uh, raise my throne above the stars of, of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. You understand that absolute truth comes from God. Absolute truth comes from God. God's truth stood between Satan and his goal of power and his goal of authority. In order to move God off his throne, Satan had to undermine that power of truth. And that is why he's a liar today. That is why he's the father of lies. He needs to destroy truth. He wants to destroy God. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy truth today. And those who reject God's truth, hear me, are Satan's children. They're his disciples. I don't care where you're listening to it. They are Satan's children. And that's why Jesus said to those who reject him in John chapter 8, he said, If God were your father, you would love me. I came from God and now I am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. You belong to your father the devil and you want to carry out your father's desire. And I wonder today if the Lord is, is speaking to us in, in, in our churches today. Are we listening to what God is saying? Are we listening to what the real truth is? Started, started a few Wednesday nights ago teaching on this thought about living a principle, a godly, biblical, principled lifestyle. Are we living what the Word says? Are we living, are we just picking and choosing how we need to live and how we need to respond? Satan's desire is simply to destroy truth. The second thing this morning is simply this. We've got to accept God's truth or reject it. We've got to accept it or reject it. And whatever decision that we make, it will simply influence how we live. Either to accept it or reject it. Proverbs 23 and 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. As he thinks in his heart, so he is. If I rejected God's truth, I've got to replace it with something else. Right? Whether you, whether you believe that or not, if I, if, I, if I reject God's truth, I'm replacing with something else. If God is not the authority in my life, then the next best person to run things is me. I'll make my decisions. I'll do what I want. I'll talk like I want to. I'll go where I want to. And this thing about... Well, you know, I, I can talk like this and it's okay for me. It may not be okay for Marilyn, but it's, but it's okay for me. No, you've got to have some absolute truth there. It's either right or it's wrong, one or the other, right? It's either right or wrong. 
The Bible tells me that it, when, I, when, I, when I make those kind of decisions, it's a fool's game. Jeremiah 17 and 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Listen to that verse. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. My heart will only tell me what I want to hear. It will only tell me what I want to hear, not what I should hear. I mean, there's some things that we know that we, we need to do, but, but boy, we just don't feel like doing them today. I know I've got to do this, and I know I need to do it, but I, don't, I just don't want to do that today. But I know that I need to because God already said for me to. Are you following me, church? But when we don't listen to the voice of reason, we don't listen to the voice of God, we find ourselves many times in hot water. The standard will not be to a high calling that God has placed on our life, but it will only ascend to right here which is my head, my heart. It won't go any farther than that. Your head, your heart. It will only fit only what you and I find to be convenient, to be comfortable. We want to go to a church where we're going to be have our ears tickled. We want to attend a church where nobody steps on our toes. We want to attend church where nobody hits us between the eyes. You're in the wrong place. Here's the thing. I'm going to step on your toes. I'm going to hit you between the eyes. But, but understand, before I do that, I'm stepping on my own toes. And I'm hitting myself between the eyes. Because we've got to understand we're living in the last days. Don't ever, don't ever get too cocky into thinking that I've got this thing with the devil. I've got him beat. Don't get cocky thinking that. Because there have been better people than you that's fallen. Been better people than you. Do you understand we have ministers after minister that is leaving the pulpit today because of moral failure? And they're thinking all the time. We, we heard one of them just a few weeks ago with Brother Michael. His wonderful testimony, his wife's testimony. I don't know about you, but some of that blew my mind. And I'm thinking, God, if you could take somebody like that and have them such in, in high esteem all around this nation and they can fall, then who am I? God, give me strength. Help me, oh God, to, to stand firm for you. I don't know about you, but every time I get down to pray, Lord, give me strength. Help me, Lord, to stay where I need to stay. Help me to be in contact with you. And that's why throughout the Bible you'll find that, that, that as God's people tried to live that way, talking, talking about trying to find places of convenience and places of being comfortable and all of those kind of things, that God condemned their sin every time. God condemned their selfishness. Their standard of truth slipped from God to themselves from heights of heaven to the depths of their depravity. Here, here's the interesting thing. Jeb Stuart Magruder, you may not know who that is, but let me just tell you who it is. Some of you here are, are old enough to understand who this guy is, who was a former presidential aide to Richard Nixon. He was also a Presbyterian minister. But he was a former aide to President Richard Nixon. This is what this guy said. He said, we conned ourselves, he's a, he's a pastor, we conned ourselves into thinking we weren't really doing anything wrong. And by the time we were doing things that were illegal, we had lost control. We had gone from poor ethical behavior into illegal activities without even realizing it. This Presbyterian pastor. And you say, oh, pastor, what does that mean to me? If this guy here, if the enemy could come and confuse his mind, then who are you and I? He can come confuse us. And many, many of our news media today who see themselves as the guardians of our nation's morality. 
has fallen into the same trap. Has fallen into the same trap. Dan Rather, big name in the news media, he made this statement. He says, I think you can be an honest person and lie about a number of things. And he believes that. If you like Dan Rather, I'm sorry. But that's, what, that's his statement. Peter Jennings, another big name in news media, or used to be. He made this statement. He said, I have become convinced that there is no one truth or two. There is often several truths. Really? These are smart guys. And when you, when you, when you look at these things, from just these two guys or three guys, you've got to understand that it's, it's a little wonder why our nation today has slipped into depravity. These were, these were self-appointed watchers of national ethics, and they can't even get it right. Presbyterian ministers who were serving the president, we conned ourselves into thinking we was doing everything. It was okay for the nation. It was okay. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, out of the Message Bible says this, And so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. They've refused for so long to deal with God and they've lost touch not only with God but with reality itself. They cannot think straight anymore, feeling no pain. Let themselves go in sexual obsession, addicted to every sort of perversion. You think about that verse there and that's how, that's how people live who have come into the ultimate consequence of a life lived without the truth of Almighty God. That's what, it, that's what it turns out to. But then Paul continues. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, You, however, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard, him, you heard him and were taught in him in accordance to the truth that is in Jesus. Paul said, You know the Lord. You were taught in accordance to the truth. You were taught in accordance to the truth. You're never going to arrive at a satisfactory understanding of truth. Listen to me, church. Whoever you may be, mom, dad, young person, you're, you're never going to arrive to a, to a satisfactory understanding of truth until you come to Jesus Christ. Now let me stop here long enough to say this. There are some things about the Bible that I don't understand. I'm just being honest with you. But I don't question it. There are some things about the Lord that I don't understand. But I don't question it. It's a walk of faith. I trust God. We have to decide in our mind we're either going to trust him or either we're going to reject him. I choose to trust him. Why do you, why do, you do that, Pastor? If, I mean, if, there's, if there's some things you can't, you can't understand or you can't explain, then because there's, there's so many other things that I can't explain. There's so many other things, Brother Reigns, that I do know that God is working for me. He's not working against me. God is on my side. He, he's brought me out of a lot of stuff. And just because I don't understand some things or maybe I can explain some things, I'm not going to lose hope. Right? I'm not going to lose my trust in the Lord. I can't explain a lot of the nuclear things that goes on today, but it's a reality. I can't explain a lot of the things in our world that, that God that talks about gravity and all these things. Don't understand a lot of it, but it's still fact. Right? So John is telling us, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he said he'll guide you into all truth. 
And what is the, what is the basis of that truth? What, what is the basis of that truth? In John 16 and 8, the Bible says when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And that's the basis of truth. When the Lord comes, he'll convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And here, here's the basis of truth for you and I. The Holy Spirit's objective is simply to convict us of the truth that we are sinners. Every one of us, when we're born, we're born into sin, right? Another basis of truth is you and I, we need to be righteous in our lives. And that there will come a time of judgment when God will judge the living and he'll judge the dead. That's truth. In other words, you and I, we do not have the right to decide what is true and what is false. We're sinners. We have no right. We struggle to be righteous by God's standards. And if we fail by those standards, there'll be a judgment and we'll lose out. Understand that, church. We'll lose out. But here's the hope this morning. Here's the hope as the musicians come. We've been given God's spirit. We've been given God's spirit to help us understand those truths. What is that? What is it, Pastor? Acts chapter 2, verse 38. The Bible tells us, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What is that talking about? Well, for those of us who've been enlisted in the army of God, We've been enlisted in God's army who've repented of our sins, who've been buried in the waters of, of baptism. We've got the spirit of God of truth living on the inside of us. What does that mean to me? You know what a conscience is, right? I believe a conscience is, is a God-given thing. If, if, if I didn't know what real truth is, a lot of times my conscience would speak to me. If I want to go this way, my conscience says, well, you know, you know what I'm talking about, something on the inside just begins to speak to us that you may not need to do that, that I need to listen to that voice of reasoning because that is God talking to us. That's the Holy Spirit talking to us. If I want to go this way, God says, no, 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 that conscience begins to speak. I need to listen to that voice. We, we've become so intellectual that we reason with that voice and we, we think, well, you don't know. You don't, you don't know that. We, we're going to go this direction because that voice of intellect says that I could do this. I'm not, nothing is going to har be harmful. Of, of. The other day on that 24-hour water challenge, some of y'all saw my thing. I dumped seven buckets of water over my head. I know it's idiotic, but I did it. And I took a Holy Ghost lap. In that Holy Ghost lap, in my mind, I said, you know what I think I'm going to do? When I get out there in the yard, I think I'm going to just slide along that yard, see how far I can slide. But my conscience says, if you do that, you're going to break a leg. You're going to skin your body up and you're going to be hurting in pain. And as I was running around, running around I thought, no, well, this is what I'm going to do. And I was, I was arguing with that voice of consciousness, and that voice of reasoning in my, body, in, my, in my body. Most of you that saw that, you know I didn't slide. I just kept running. I did slip coming back up the stairs, but I didn't fall. I'm talking about is if you and I will listen to what God is speaking in our lives, it'll carry us the way that we need to go. Amen. So here's the thing: when, when He comes on the inside, when the Spirit comes on the inside, He begins to teach us right then, right now. He teaches us right wrong. He begins to help us to understand what's true, what's false.
what's more important is God's truth begins to remove the root of our sin. Hallelujah. Removes that root. It teaches us to be righteous. And it makes it so in the judgment you and I will be saved because of what God has taught us. I'll say this one more time. Satan can't handle the truth. Can't handle the truth. But you and I who belong to Christ have God's truth living within us. And it's changing us so that you and I will become acceptable when we stand before Almighty God. And I tell you this morning that God is alive today. He's alive today. And I pray that He's more alive in your heart than He ever has been. Why do I say that? Because I really believe, I honestly believe that this thing is about to wind down. I honestly believe that Jesus Christ is coming back after His church. And what a day it's going to be. What a day it's going to be when I get to see him face to face. What a day is it's going to be when I get to stand there and I hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't have to tell him. He understands all the tough times. I don't have to say this because he understands all the rough moments in my life. He understands all the decisions that we have to make. He understands all the ridicule. He understands all the pressure that you and I may have to go through. But what a day it's going to be when we get to walk down the streets of gold and see our Savior face to face.
hurts, those little things that would cause you to doubt. Don't doubt, just trust in God. Don't doubt, just trust in God. All things are possible to Him that believes. Pastor, I'm lost. I don't know Jesus. I need to give my heart to the Lord. I've been doubting this thing of Christianity. I've been doubting this thing of, of God. I've been doubting this thing of my spiritual well-being. I've been doubting this thing of, of absolute truth. Whether this is right, whether this is wrong. When I give this altar call in just a moment, I want you to come to this altar. Lay it down and give it to Jesus. Settle it today. Settle it today. Settle it today. Pastor, I'm here today and I'm, I, think, I think I'm saved. Boy, there's been some struggle going on. There's been some struggle with my faith. There's been some struggle whether I need to continue on or whether I need to back up because it seems like it. the more and more I strive for Jesus, everything is going on. Church is like I've done before. I just want to call everybody to the altar, but I don't think the Lord's going to go.